Our speaker today, Susan Parker, is a motivational speaker. She's a consultant and an author. Her memoir, Walking in the Deep End, is, that song is so appropriate because in this book, Susan Parker revisits many of those places when it rained in her life and uh, walks us through those times. And there's a lot of healing and wholeness that you can find when we share each other's stories. And um, I, I was reading this over the Christmas holidays and it captured me and it has impacted uh, my ministry and I'm forever grateful for that. And I'm very grateful that Susan is bringing her giftedness forward for this congregation. Now at the 9 a.m. when I tried to say that, it slipped it out, guiltedness into our congregation. I'm not sure what, but she went with it. Uh, we do also have lots of places of guilt and shame that we work through in our lives, so I'll let her continue to use that. But she is bringing her giftedness to this congregation. This coming Saturday, she's bringing some of her HR skills to us and will help those that are seeking jobs in this tough economy and to help them prepare for that. Um, and then very soon in our Life Development Chalice offering, she'll be doing in April, she'll be doing a series called Get Real, Creating a More Authentic Life. Would you please give a resurrection welcome to our speaker, Susan Parker. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. Well, thank you so very much. It's really an honor and a privilege to be here today. You really have no idea. And Chris, thank you, that was just fabulous, that song. For the last several months I've been attending Resurrection. Uh, I live up in the woodlands, sort of South Dallas, and uh, I tra <laughs> travel a lot. And so I come here as I can, and I'm just always inspired um, and, and refreshed, both by the leadership here and by all of you. Um, when Janice asked me to talk today, I, I was really glad to hear that this was called spiritual encouragement, um, because I think spiritual encouragement I, I can offer. Um, I've sort of lived a lot, <laughs> and I've made a lot of mistakes, and um, I guess I'm hoping that I learn from them. Um, and I've also seen God's work and forgiveness and faithfulness in my life. If Janice had asked me to do a sermon today, I would have had to respectfully decline, um, or at least in my head told myself it was something else, um, because I really am not qualified to, to give a sermon here or anywhere. Um, as Janice mentioned, I'm a consultant and I'm a writer, I'm definitely not a minister, I'm not a preacher, and don't feel like I have the right to preach at anyone at any time. Of course, if you'd asked me about 20 years ago, um, or maybe, maybe even 16, right before I moved to, to Houston, I might have been more than happy to preach a sermon at you. <clears throat> In fact, I, I may have also, as I stood here and said whatever it is I was going to say, and, and questioned in my mind your faith and your, your claim uh, to be Christians, believing at that time, as I did, that to be Christian and, and a member of the GLBT community were mutually exclusive. Of course, especially since I'm standing here, I'm very embarrassed to admit that. But that's where I was at that time. And it's been a both humbling and hard road, but good one to admit to my own religious bigotry and internalized homophobia. It's particularly ironic because um, when I was growing up in Ohio on the snowy playgrounds, I was king of the mountain. I was Batman and Zorro at Halloween. 
and I was completely enthralled by Mary, uh, the character Mary Richards on the Mary Tyler Moore show. I also remember that the only Barbie doll I ever had was that character they had in the 60s called Midge. <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure she was uh, Barbie's uh, lesbian cousin. <clears throat> so, should have known sooner, but the reality is I didn't know that I was one of you until I was about 40. <clears throat> so, but now here I am, as I, as I recall the... the uh, the uh, spiritual encouragement last week that Kristen delivered. I'm one of the beloved of God, right? Something I wasn't really sure of for a while. And that's the case despite what I used to say about it and despite what anyone else might and what others still do. Today's scripture in Luke chapter 4, verse 21 through 30, we're reminded that Jesus was an outcast. Thank you. I love that. Do that again. <clears throat> That's right. All right. It's always good to have feedback. <clears throat> you know, Jesus, he was abandoned. He could have come back as, you know, waited a couple thousand years. What's the difference? Come back as a rock star and had people worshiping him. <laughs> but instead, we get to have an empathetic God who chooses someone more lowly, who chooses someone that is considered an outcast so that he might understand our experiences, whatever they may be, as we walk this earth in the human experience. Three weeks ago, I was here, and Janice was talking about this, this idea that it was important for us to start conversations about our faith and our lives, and I loved hearing that because I'm really big on the power of story. Um, that makes sense since I'm a writer, but... Um, but what I've found is that it's incredibly powerful when we strip away the veneers of who we pretend to be and really be ourselves and allow people to know us and, and what we've been through. And then when we honor others by listening to their story. <clears throat> so today I'm, I'm here to have a conversation of sorts with you and also the person who keeps giving me great feedback. <laughs> um, <clears throat> about something that's really not that easy to talk about. I mean, I don't even like going around telling people that I feel some of the things I do, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. Today we're going to talk about fear of abandonment. And uh, it's something that I experience at time, and I have a feeling that uh, all or most of you do as well. And clearly, it's a very complex issue. We could probably stand here for days and talk about it. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. Um, but, but there are so many threads. And there's so many effects that, that the fear of abandonment has in our life and our relationships. Um, and so today we're just going to talk about those a bit and kind of explore some ways we might manage them. And I'll begin sort of the conversation by telling you a bit more about myself. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, not exactly the vacation destination of the world. <laughs> um, but it was a good place to grow up. And um, my family was a loving one. But we had... Uh, our share of issues, especially within my extended family. My father's father abandoned his family when my dad was about seven, and that created a whole cascade of problems uh, for, for, for many me members of our family. These were problems that were shrouded in secrecy and in shame. You know, back in the six, well, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, people really didn't talk about things, yet those things still happened out-of-wedlock births, divorce, 
depression, rape, suicide, those still happened, and they happened within my family. And in our family, many tragedies ensued. They finally hit closest to home when I, um, within my immediate family when my dear father um, had a nervous breakdown. He was just overwhelmed by the stresses of his family um, and by the circumstances of life. On the weekend of my 11th birthday, he was home visiting from the mental hospital, and he took an overdose of his uh, medication. And somehow I was left to uh, pick him up off the floor and walk him around the room until he, the ambulance arrived. Thankfully, because he really was a great man, he survived the attempt, and, and so did I. Thank you, thank you. You know, I can tell you from that event, I got some issues. <laughs> and, and I didn't know to call them abandonment issues at the time. Um, but through the years, I've, I've learned that. And I also learned that I developed sort of a, a savior complex, too, but we won't go there today. <laughs> <clears throat> today, the con our conversation about abandonment will progress as I ask you, what, what is your core abandonment issue? What happened to you? Was it, I was given up for adoption? Or my parents divorced? Or one or both of my parents died by illness or accident? Or I experienced emotional, physical, or sexual abuse? Or is it I've been rejected by my family for being gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgendered? Or is it something else? We all have a story to tell, and we all have our wounds and traumas. And these core issues occur. And however good or bad your, your child has been, or however good or bad everything's been since then, you have and, and will face abandonment. The good news, of course, as we're here today, is to remember that we have a God who said he'll never leave us or forsake us. But we still have to consider how these things affect us. I want you to take a look at the thoughts of one person who, for me anyway, seems to really embody what happens when we face a lot of abandonment issues. There's an old joke. Um, two elderly women are at a Catskill Mountain resort, <clears throat> and one of them says, boy, the food at this place is really terrible. The other one says, yeah, I know, and such small portions. Well, that's essentially how I feel about life, full of loneliness and misery and suffering and unhappiness, and it's all over much too quickly. The, the other important joke for me is one that's uh, usually attributed to Groucho Marx, but I think it appears originally in Freud's wit and its relation to the unconscious, and it goes like this, I'm paraphrasing. Um, I would never want to belong to any club that would have someone like me for a member. That's the key joke of my adult life in terms of my relationships with women. You know, lately the strangest things have been going through my mind because I turned 40, and I guess I'm going through a life crisis or something. I don't know. I, I, and I'm not worried about aging. I'm not one of those characters, you know. I, although I'm balding slightly on top. That's about the worst you can say about me. I, um, I think I'm going to get better as I get older. You know, I think I'm going to be the, the balding virile type, you know, as opposed to, say, the um, distinguished gray for instance, you know, unless I'm neither of those two, unless I'm one of those guys with saliva dribbling out of his mouth who wanders into a cafeteria with a shopping bag screaming about socialism. <sighs> Annie and I broke up, and I, I still can't get my mind around that. You know, I, I keep sifting the pieces of the relationship through my mind and, and examining my life and trying to figure out where did the screw-up come, you know? And a year ago, we were in love, you know, and, and, and I just, and it's funny, I'm not a, I'm not a morose type, I'm not a depressive character, I, 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 uh, you know, I was a reasonably happy kid, I guess, I was brought up in Brooklyn.
<laughs> well, I love that about him, that sense of security and, and well-being that he seems to project. <laughs> the, the, the problem is I relate to him so often. But anyhow, uh, the, let me just give you the definition, one of the definitions I found in uh, the Webster Dictionary. The fear of abandonment manifests itself as excessive worry that those close to you will leave you as feelings of insecurity, anxiety, feelings of unworthiness, panic, fear of being alone, dread over, dread over possessive or controlling behaviors, manipulative behaviors, and so on. Fear of abandonment has also been linked to substance abuse, drinking, eating disorders, and other addictive and destructive behavior. So as I said before, this is a really complex issue and we can't possibly talk about everything here. Today, we'll just sort of focus on some of the relationship issues that occur when we have issues related to abandonment, Re uh, issues that relate to ourselves and in our interaction with others. From our reading today in 1 Corinthians, we're given a very strong picture of what love is. So I'm going to reread that for, for you, part of that. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Well, that's a great blueprint. The thing is that so often, especially those of us who deal with a lot of abandonment issues, aren't really attracted to those who are striving for that blueprint. And sometimes some of our issues can cause us to do things like being attracted to unavailable people, right? Researchers have told us that there's some kind of chemistry that goes on within uh, our bodies that when a traumatic event happens in childhood, we seek to recreate that, unknowingly, obviously, uh, as we move forward. And there's sort of this drama uh, of, uh, that, is in, that is recreated, and we become addicted to those chemicals that are created inside of our body. <clears throat> we then end up pursuing hard-to-get people that are probably not good for us. The other thing that can happen is we're attracted, we're, to, to, we're not attracted to available people, right? So the people that might really be healthy and good for us, well, not really interested, right? <laughs> because why? They're not enacting all that emotional drama. Now, I can't say any of this has ever happened to me, and I'm sure it's never happened to any of you. <laughs> this next one is particularly lovely, and it's when you get all needy, right? Things are going great, and suddenly you're needy, and oh my God, the, the person can't get away from you fast enough. <laughs> and, and then the last way it sometimes works out is, is uh, the fear of engulfment. When you're in a relationship and someone's interested in you, and um, you, you feel yourself pulling back because you're so worried that they may engulf you. It's a panic about your fear of being engulfed by the other person's emotional expect expectations of you. And we can really swing back and forth between both of these things, between the fear of engulfment and the fear of abandonment. All the while, it's kind of worse, getting worse because we're, we carry shame related to the trauma of our core issue. And we kind of feel like we need to hide who we really are to doubt ourselves, and, to, and that leaves us even more alone, feeling even more abandoned. So what to do, right? I mean, like I said, I'm not a minister or a preacher. I'm clearly not a therapist, although I've met many of them and spent many hours with them. <laughs> <laughs> so I ought to be one. 
<clears throat> if I could charge what they charge, I would definitely do it. <clears throat> um, and I'm really not a believer in these, you know, do five things and fix your life. I think that's really more a, a function of American marketing, and I have a degree in marketing, so I can spot that, uh, than in what's real, right? Um, I, no more than I think that I can lose uh, weight and get in shape by eating one good meal and exercising one hour. I certainly went and run to the mirror and looked for the difference. Um, I don't think you can do five things and fix your life. And, and honestly, I don't even think it's intended to be that way. I think God gives us a different way. I think he, he allows us to need each other. To, because if we need each other and can share what we've been through, then we help each other at the same time. And at the same time, other great things grow out of that. Um, but, but let's you know, talk about some of the things that might help. And that, I think, is one of the things to do is not follow your gut. You know, when you're facing issues related to, to abandonment, and, and somebody is in your life, a uh, potential uh, person to date, and um, I say don't follow your gut. At least that doesn't work for me, because the one I think is right is usually not, because you play into that whole addiction of the love chemicals that, that past trauma and fear has created. And I challenge you as I challenge myself to kind of look at it a different way, to pray about things, of course, and to have a conversation with trusted friends or clergy or therapists or whoever to help you really get to the place where you can be more real and vulnerable about it, to kind of really look at how you're seeing things and how you're evaluating the people that you allow into your life. I also want you to encourage this idea, or embrace this idea that what, what your past has been doesn't necessarily mean what your future will be. <clears throat> Over the holidays, I saw a really great movie, and I don't think it got the, any Golden Globe nominations even, and I, and I'm, I think it's a shame. It's the, the movie Invictus, uh, and it's about the story of Nelson Mandela's brilliant move to use the South African rugby team uh, to unify the country when he became president. Now, I love sports movies, and that should have been another uh, note to myself, <laughs> but that's not the reason why I'm telling you all to go see this movie. It's really because of the incredible choice that Nelson Mandela made. You know, we all know this, but it really brought it home for me. He spent 27 years in a cell, incarcerated by people then he would later come uh, to lead as president of a 40 million person nation. Now, if I had spent 27 years in a cell, I can guarantee when I came out I'd have some bad attitudes and some ideas about how I'd get back at those people that put me there. <laughs> right? Um, and if he had sought revenge or, or, or chose to maybe do some of the same things that he had experienced, I think maybe a lot of people wouldn't have blamed him, and many, in fact, encouraged him to do that. But instead, he chose a different way. He chose a new way to relate to those in his life, and, it, and, it, and, and I think we can do the same. Our past, our traumas, need not define us, and they cannot if we are to have the life that God intended. Viktor Frankl is another person I've greatly admired. He spent many years in a Nazi concentration camp. He said, a human being is a deciding being. I love that. We get to choose, right? So rather than going back to that same pool of people who will mistreat you or running from the one who won't, I encourage you to remember what God says about real love. To make a choice to push beyond what you've always done for something more. So, so what if sort of none of that really works right away? You're still making bad choices, you know, you're still feeling lonely, abandoned, inadequate, maybe not as bad as Woody Allen, but inadequate. 
What if you're still, what if that's still happening? Well, again, I don't, as I said, I don't think there's a quick fix. But I think if we connect with one another in real ways, if we're open to sharing our stories, if we laugh, right, at the incredible humor that's all around us, if we connect to the power of story within art, within music, and really connect to other people, I think that we can help each other get through it. And you might not get over something always, but I think getting through it brings all kinds of other uh, skills and, and, and additions to the life, your life experience. And sometimes, even if that doesn't work, if you kind of get outside of yourself and look at it from a different way and look at how you can help others deal with their issues. So, so I would ask you to say, what am I doing to ensure that people feel included, listened to, and validated? What can I do to help others deal with their feelings of abandonment? You know, it seems to me, and maybe everybody thought this, maybe my mother thought this, maybe my grandmother, I don't know, but it seems to me that people are not that connected in the world we live, in the way we live it. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of technology that allows us to communicate by Blackberry, by cell phone, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is. But I'm not sure that's really connecting. Um, and, and I think one of the things we can do as, as we move forward is really commit to, to look for ways that we can connect. And I think one thing we need to do is recognize difference. You know, there's the, the, the golden rule, which says treat others as you would like to be treated. And of course, that's great. And I learned that in kindergarten or something. But even more is the platinum rule, which is to treat others as they want to be treated. Right? And when you do that, you get to really know the other person. Right? You have to really know them to do that. It requires a conversation with active listening. I think it also, again, requires a level of authenticity. Because I can't really know you, and you can't really know me if we're not showing each other what we are and who we are. <clears throat> Many of you are familiar with the work of Dr. Brene Brown at the University of Houston. She's dedicated her research to the study of shame, belonging, and authenticity. When I first read about her, that blew me away. I couldn't believe that. I'm like, I could have done that for a living and got paid? Wow. <laughs> Instead, I chose to just live it, you know? This is what she says. I have found that the most effective way to overcome feelings of inadequacy is to share our experiences. Of course, in this culture, telling our stories takes courage. All of this sounds kind of simple. Like, gosh, of course, everybody knows this. And that may be the case, but I think, I just don't see it happening that much. You know, it's real easy to go to work, to come to church, to see your neighbors, to interact even with your family, and kind of stay on the surface of things. But to really connect, we have to go deeper. Lastly, I've entitled this talk, Please Don't Go. And, and you may think that's because, you know, it sort of conjures up images of somebody sitting and staring by a phone, waiting for it to ring, or, you know, Woody Allen lamenting about his relationship with Annie Hall that didn't work out, or a person racking their brain about what, what went wrong, or begging, begging someone not to leave them. But what I envisioned was really something else. Think about how you can really lose yourself. Think about how you lose yourself in the pursuit of somebody else, or in the pursuit of someone else's idea of who you are or who you should be, right? 
whether it be our, our churches, our parents, or other parts of society, other family members, think of how you lose you. The only you that was created to be sits right, right here. So I encourage you to, to, to look in the mirror and say, please don't go. Tell that person that looks back at you that you want to find the truest version of you. Tell that beautiful face that a good life ahead does not include running away from what is good and accepting what is bad in a relationship. It doesn't include putting on layer after layer of falsehoods and pretense so that you can't even remember who you are. Tell that beloved one of God that you want to make a difference and connect with others who have the same questions, the same fears, the same doubts and needs that you do. Tell that one that you choose to demonstrate compassion, empathy, and a quest for authenticity and self-acceptance. So let me sum things up by encouraging you to remember your past doesn't have to dictate your future. <clears throat> I spent a lot of years being a sort of soccer mom and it took me a long time to get down to the real me, but I would not trade that journey for anything. As Viktor Frankl said, human beings are deciding beings. You can find help to move beyond your abandonment issues and their negative con consequences. You can make a difference in the lives of others by sharing your story and demonstrating empathy and compassion. You can find the courage to be real and enjoy a life that is full of beauty. And you can look in the mirror and lovingly say, please don't go. Thank you.